0: week and next, and take a, a little parenthesis and uh, look at two issues that uh, I just had a chance to talk to a, a group of uh, men and women about over in uh, over at Forest Home. We're going to look uh, next week at a study that uh, Tony Campolo reported about where uh, 50 people who were at least 90 years of age were asked if they had their life to live over again, what would they do differently? And it just seems to me that's a a great way to approach it. And we'll look at that next week. Today, we look at the topic of marriage. And uh, the focus is on the institution of marriage. And while I have friends who suggest the institution is in trouble, it seems to me the institution is fine. Uh, The people in the institution seem troubled. And uh, that's what we want to address today. Uh, Just uh, to help you so you're not coming and then listening to something and trapped again, uh, if uh, you attend East Valley Bible Church, this is the message we'll be doing there a week from Sunday. And the message we do next week will do there August 23rd. So I just say that so you don't walk into that church and say, and all of a sudden, oh man, i got to hear this again. Because that is so awful when you get up and leave. That hurts. I mean, that's painful <laughs> by far. So I, I try to figure out what to do. And I, this came out of an invitation that I received last February to come and speak one night, 40 minutes, on the topic of marriage and I thought how do you do that everybody automatically goes to Ephesians 5 or some variation of that and I thought I would do something I was trying to figure it out at the same time I was getting ready to do a wedding and I thought that's what I'll do I'm going to take the comments that I made at that wedding and just make them to you unless you were married by a justice of the peace or unless you were married in some civil ceremony Uh, you heard words similar to this Uh, a couple of things there were uh, some single people who were there yesterday who really want to get married and found this to be a very discouraging message to them. Uh, and I told them that at the beginning. I said, if you're single, this will remind you why. Uh, one of my motives is very pure, and it's this. Every one of you served the role of marriage counselor somewhere almost every week, somebody in a restaurant. Uh, somebody at work, uh, somebody that, that you're working out with, uh, a friend, a brother, a sister, somebody's calling and talking about marriage. And, and a lot of times, uh, my advice uh, is to ignore their advice. And I say this uh, because oftentimes they're emotionally involved with you or you're emotionally involved with them, so your view's slanted. Uh, if you are of an opposite sex to the other person, there's no way you're going to provide good counsel. Uh, you almost always screw that up. And if it's a relative, you have agendas all over the place. Uh, I have six points to you today, six points that I made in this talk at this wedding, and they are absolutely rock solid. You may want to add something to the list, but you don't really need to add anything to the list. If, if this is, you follow these six things, and you cannot possibly have a marriage that fails. It's absolutely impossible. It cannot happen. One more thing by way of disclaimer. As we talk about these, I'm just telling you, I think like you do. So as we talk about these, all these objections are going to come up in your mind. All these things are going to say, if he did this, I would. If she did this, I would. You don't know him. You don't know her. This is not about... We're going to talk about marriage. Very important. We're talking about marriage, but this isn't about you and your partner. This is about you. It's not about them. Okay. I don't want you to go, boy, I can't wait to get this tape, because, boy, my husband needs to hear it. I, my wife needs to hear this. We did a thing on Father's Day this year where I did what a, what a woman really needs from a man. and And since women buy more tapes and books by far i'm not kidding you we had tape which is the most requested tape we've ever done because all the gals were loving it they couldn't wait to give this to their husband well unbeknownst to them what i did when i bought the tape was put on side one a talk i just did what a man needs from a woman so we kind of did a little bait and switch on the talk they wanted was there but they had to listen to this one to get to it and the reason is i know how this works you want to deflect this to the other person we're talking about you here okay six things Here's what I said to him at the beginning. We always do this little thing on marriage. Uh, from the very beginning of the human race, marriage is an important part of our history. Marriage is inseparably linked to God's original act of creation, blah, 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 blah. It's uh, it's Here's what marriage is. I'm, I'll give it to you and net it out. Marriage has three characteristics to it in terms of design. It's monogamous. It's heterosexual. It's permanent. So when somebody says, what do you think about gay marriages? It really doesn't matter what I think about gay marriages. Here's what God says. Monogamous, heterosexual, permanent. God designed it, so God defined it. And that's how He defined it. But that's not what we're going to talk about. Here's what I said to them. Uh, You're about to take these vows, and here's some things that are going to help you understand these vows. Number one, these promises are unconditional. In just a few moments, you will vow to have and to hold each other from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in love and to cherish as long as you both shall live. You will no longer be two, but you will become one flesh. And what God has joined together is designed to be inseparable. Here's the first thing you need to understand. These marriage vows are unconditional. Now, anytime we talk about raising kids or anytime we talk about marriage, there are all sorts of defense mechanisms that come up out in the listener. Because many of you, this brings back so much guilt, so many problems. Many of you in this room have been through divorce. This is not to somehow beat you up. This is not to somehow make you feel bad. What we're trying to say is if you're in a relationship now, grab this, grab this truth. The vows that you made are serious. Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, Solomon writes about a vow, and he writes it in the context of a warning. Here's what he says. Do not be quick with your mouth Do not be hasty in your heart to do anything before God. God is in heaven. By the way, this is a great thing to remember. God is in heaven and you're on earth. When you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Don't let your mouth lead you into sin. In other words, when you vow promise before God, God takes it very seriously. My good friend Larry Wright has a thing that he does in his marriage seminars where he goes, Sue and I, some of you have seen it, Sue and I will never, 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 never get divorced. And when he does this, people go crazy. They say, he shouldn't be saying those things. Satan's going to want to tempt them and break him apart. Let me net it out for you. That's exactly what you said the day you got married. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, sickness, and health, till death do its part. That sounds an awful lot like we'll never, never, never get divorced. It? Now, here's what happened to me. When I started not just reading these vows, but listening to them, the way I would approach the scripture in terms of listen and understand it, something struck me in this. Let me read the vows to you and see, don't say it out loud, see if something just jumps off the page at you. Let me read you the vows again. For better or for worse, or richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, in love and to cherish as long as you both shall live. Here's what struck me: the vows presuppose problems. The vows assume the problems. They say for better, which would be nice, or worse, in sickness, in health, richer, poorer, as long as you, no matter what. That's what it says. Life changes, as some some one has said, every day the world rolls over someone who just a moment before was sitting on top of it. (laughs) That every day things are changing. That I'm up. Things are going good. Business is going great. And I think, all. Oh, if I could just get... When business is bad, here's what I think. If I could just get my business fixed, everything would be okay. And almost always, the price I pay to get my business fixed is to flush all my interpersonal relationships so that when my business is fixed, my life is flushed. So now i got to come over here. See, it's always in a state of flux. The vow, very important. I don't say they're unconditional. And then you say, but you don't know this guy. Let's get this out of the way. I will grant you this. Some of you picked spouses that I would never pick. I wouldn't marry her. I've been through this as I'd i Would I marry her? No, I wouldn't. But there were 2.5 billion fish in the sea, and this is the tuna you picked. Okay? <laughs> and you better understand this. You picked her. You picked him. You looked at all these people, okay? And then I'll hear, but I didn't know. That's not my fault. That's your fault. When you said, I do, at that moment, that is God's person for you. Unconditional. Better or worse. Richer or poor. I understand there's going to be problems. They presuppose problems. I expect problems. I anticipate problems. I know there's going to be difficulties. But I look and I go, no matter what. Susan doesn't know much about me for certain in terms of I'm, in some sense, relatively unpredictable. But she knows this. No matter what, I'm there. There is nothing she could do that would make me leave. If she said to me, leave, I wouldn't leave. If she said to me, are there grounds for divorce? We know this. There's two biblical grounds for divorce. You know them. One, if if, if there's sexual immorality, you have a ground for divorce. Two, if you're married to an unbeliever, the unbeliever leaves, you have grounds for divorce. I'm telling you this, and I know you're going to say you wouldn't know this, nor do I want to know it. But if Susan said to me, I'll tell you what, Tom, uh, uh, I'm having an affair. That would not send me out the door. Would I have the right to go? Yeah. I have the right to go, but He doesn't say you got to do it. She knows this. No matter what, I'm there. And I tell her that over and over again. Sometimes I feel like this is really stupid because if she knows this. She may know it, but she needs to hear it. Our vows are unconditional. Here's the second thing. Approach marriage. This is me talking to this couple on their wedding day. Approach your marriage with realistic expectations. Resist the temptation to expect your spouse to meet all your needs. It's not humanly possible. Only God can do that. Only He can meet all your needs, and He promises to do so. Paul commands us to let our gentleness be evident, knowing that God is near. Here's the second thing. I've got to look at my spouse and this relationship with realistic expectations. This, by the way, comes into play in every human relationship that means I got to know what I want out of this and I got to define what it is I got a, a situation once there was this couple getting ready they want they're going to be married I'm not going to marry them but they were out of one of the studies and they asked if I would meet with them so I met with them once or twice I don't remember and uh, they were married a month almost to the day after they were married the phone rang there was a person just sobbing uncontrollably on the other end And I had no idea. I said, who is this? What is this? What's going on? It was this girl. And she said, we need to see you. And I I said, okay. And and I rarely ask what it's about. And I didn't ask her what it was about. You know, it could have been a variety of things. What she said was not what I expected. Uh, She said, we need to meet you because this just isn't going to work. I said, okay. So I've been through this a few times. The door opens. Uh, she walks in, and she looks like she's been crying for the whole month. He walks, which I would have expected. He walks in also with the look I expected. He walks in going, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> so we went in, and we sat down, and we kind of got everything calmed down. We got to Kleenex and did their deal. And I don't even go to him. I don't even waste the time going to him, because I know that's not what we need to do to start with. I said to her, honey, tell us what, what, what what's wrong. He said, this isn't going to work. I said, why? Tell me what's happening here. It's not going to work. We've been at it a month. It's not going to work. I can tell you now, it's not going to work. So we went through a bunch of stuff. I said, tell me what the problem is. And she said, the problem is, he's not a godly man. I thought I was marrying a godly man. He's not a godly man. So I said to him, are you a godly man? And he said, I thought I was until I married her. I thought I was a godly god but I, don't, I guess I'm not. I don't know. So now I know, I know I'm know i done with him. There's nothing that's going to enlighten this thing coming from this guy. So you just kind of put him on hold. You go back over here and you say, okay, tell me about that. What does that mean? What? Why? And she said, well, let me tell you how it's been for this month. We never pray together in the morning and at night. We only pray together at night. We never pray together in the morning, just once in a while. We study the Bible as a couple only on Fridays and on Saturday and Sunday because that's the weekend. We never study the Bible in a small setting, intimate setting, other than that. We're, we're involved in church, but, but we're right now not involved in anyone else's life. I and mean, she lists this thing. Um, you know what? That guy's a godly guy. Here's the problem. And I'll tell you who screwed this up. This is very, very important. I screwed this up. Because here's what I said to her when we, before they got married. I said, number one Claudia, you're looking for in a guy. She said, a godly husband. What I never said was, what does that mean? Almost, just on the... Forget all the physical and all the emotional and intellectual and all the other stuff. Get all that out of the way. Almost every chick in here would say... I'm sorry, woman in here, lady would say... Would say... I'll take that guy right there. That's godly enough for me. Okay, right, right. I mean, isn't that right? Yes. But see, the problem is it has to be defined. It, what, what's the definition? In every human relationship, I gotta say this. Here's the problem. When you got people in conflict, frequently, here's what you got: same word, different dictionary. Saying the same word, but it's not defined. A guy who's in one of these things, and I'm talking about to have a friend. So he came up, he heard this enough, he came up, and, I, and it takes a certain level of fortitude to do it. And he said, I don't have a friend, will you be my friend? And I said, yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, sure, I guess, sure, yeah. About six months later, he came up, he said, you are an awful friend. And I said, what do you mean? I return your phone calls. I mean, I, that's something. He said, a friend of somebody, they go out to dinner once a week. The family's going on vacation together, the food. I said, no, no, wait, 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 wait. I go on vacation to get away from people I know. Not to go spend time with people I know. That's my personal preference. Okay, And all of a sudden was, same word, different dictionary. You've got to have some level of realistic expectation in the midst of all of this stuff. And part of that expectation is to, is to define it and then understand that that other person cannot, will not, let me go out on a limb here, should not meet all your needs. That need can only be met by Christ. It can only be met by the indwelling Holy Spirit. You've got needs. Those gut, visceral needs that you have carried out to their logical extension are impossible to meet humanly. God wants you dependent upon Him. So when I come to... the Susan and I did this. We're married. We are not a week into it. Literally a week into it. And she said, this is never going to work. And I said, "This is now. This is this stinks." And the problem was, I thought I married her so she'd make me happy. She thought she'd marry me so I'd make her happy. It was to, for like for her. It was a total physical attraction. <laughs> I Maybe mean, not total. I just saw. I just saw last uh, Monday night. I just saw Monday night, Tuesday night, Tuesday night. I just saw Zorro. And I think I look like this Antonio (laughs) Bendit. So I. So I. Okay, so I got these expectations. She can't meet them. And in a sense, that's good. It flips right into the third point, which is this marriage demands that you are not selfish. Here's what I said marriage requires unselfishness. Listen to these words in 1 Corinthians 7. Let the husband fulfill his marital duties to the wife, and likewise the wife to the husband. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to the husband, in the same way the husband's body doesn't belong to him alone, but also to the wife. Okay. Now, really important here. We'll spend a second on this. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent for a time, so you may devote yourself to prayer and fasting. Now, here's what he's talking about. The context in 1 Corinthians 7 is primarily Sexual. God's got a lot to say about sex and marriage. And let me conclude this and then come back and comment on it. Though this passage speaks primarily of sexual intimacy, the application touches all areas of marriage. You're now one. You're to set aside the concerns about your rights and the concerns about meeting your needs and your, and meet the needs and wants of your mate. So in this marriage situation, my object is to get out the personal pronouns out of the vocabulary as much as I can. I don't want to be using words like I and my, except to say, I'm sorry, it's my fault, what can I do, how can I help you? That's how I use it. So that marriage requires this sense of unselfishness. And you have to go into it without reservation. This is why, and I always get in a little trouble here, and I don't mean it in any way. I just see it as a bad sign. For example, when a woman says, hyphenate my name, I want to keep my name. There's a new thing going on now. Here's what they used to do. Remember they used to have this unity candle? So you had the two candles, you know the gig. You have the two candles, you take the one, you light the one in the middle that symbolizes your one, and you blow out the other two. You go to the marriages, the weddings now, they don't blow out the other two. This is the New Deal now. The New Deal is to symbolize, though we're one, we're two separate people. I'm telling you what, you're screwed if that's your thinking. Because you're going into it saying, I want to keep my own identity. No, you don't. If you want your own identity, stay single. Once you're married, the two become one. We're a team. You talk to me, you talk to Susan. You talk to Susan, you talk to me. We are in this thing together. This is tough enough without me having my own turf. So should a guy have his own checking account, a gal have her own... I don't know. Seems to me like a gal ought to have five or ten bucks to buy a new dress. And a, and a guy should have four or $500 for a titanium driver. But that seems fair to me. Okay, That's the way I divide it up. But no, is it, is it nice? I think it is nice. I think it is cute to have this little mad money, have this little stuff tucked away. But you got a real problem when you start going, that's mine, that's yours, that's mine, label this up, that's my couch, I brought that in, let's mark the things I brought, because what you're anticipating is there's a day coming when we're going to divide it. And it gets silly. And I've got to get an attitude developed in my heart that says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to set aside my rights. Uh, a friend of mine asked me a question not long ago that that was fascinating to me. He said, I've watched you and Susan. Now we've been married 20 years. And, and he said, I've never seen you have a fight. And Susan and I have had disagreements. But but let me tell you how this works. Susan has an unbelievable candy. I don't know what it is. We can be in the middle of something. She goes to sleep. When she gets up in the morning, it's like it never happened. We have never had this gigantic blow-up that takes place over a period of a couple of days. Our kids have never seen this fight. I'll tell you why. Because somebody backs off. We see it heating up, and somebody says, you know what, it's not worth it. When I do something really stupid, and I do something that really hurts her, you know what she knows? It goes back to this first 1. She knows that I love her and she knows I care for her and she knows that I may have done something and I, and I it may be really stupid and it may be hurtful, but it's not how I feel really feel about her. See, that's a huge key. If I'm in there fighting for my turf, I'm fighting for... We got in a deal the other day. We're laying in bed and I said to her, Get your leg's on my side of the bed. <laughs> and, 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 she, and she said, no it isn't. I said, it is. It's bugging me. It's, it's You got your knee... But your bother, get that knee off my side of the bed. And she said, well, it's your your hugging pillow. Your hugging pillow's got all the room over there. And I said, no, it's your knee. Don't move. Don't move. I'm turning on the light because I'm going to see where you are in this thing. Don't move. So I couldn't reach the light and hold her leg at the same time. But all of a sudden, she said, you know, this is just nothing more than what, you know, this is nothing more than just you carrying on from what you were talking about earlier today. Ooh, and I'm going now. Ooh, what was that? And then I said, "No, oh. I said you're on my side." You know what she and Here's what she did. She said, "I got to go to the bathroom." Now, I don't think she had to go to the bathroom. I think she knew that we were about to say a bunch of really stupid things and she's saying, "This is really stupid. I'm going to the john and hopefully you'll either be asleep or come to your senses by the time I get back." But see how that's stupid? And it's stupid, but look how it started. Get your knee off my side of the bed. There can't be a mine in yours. i got to be consumed with meeting your needs and meeting your wants the best I can. Here you go. Here's the ticket. Because most people are going to go, yep, yeah, here's the problem. I'll do it based on the fact that you're meeting my needs. I'll do it for a week. This, you can't avoid the sex part of this thing. So really, gals, you need to listen to this. Guys, you don't particularly need to listen to this part. But this sex thing is huge in marriage. Okay? I want you to see. Here's how he closes the loop here. Here's what he says. It's better to be single than married. Those are pretty strong words. We don't talk about this very often. He says you're better off single than married. Here's why. Because there's no distractions. So you can serve me better if you're single than if you're married. That's what he says. Right? That's what he said. How do you debate? You can't debate it. That's why you don't answer. Okay? Now, he says, but if there is this sexual desire that needs to be fulfilled, then you go ahead and you take a wife or you go ahead and you take a husband. Now, that's the premise. I get all this other stuff. We're rounding out each other's needs and we're back to Genesis 2 and all. Fine and dandy. I'm telling you, sex is a big part of it. Everything that Susan does in our house, I could find done by somebody else except the sex part, and the same thing she could say of me. So, so as much as you want to diminish this, it's a huge issue. Well, look at how God, look how God put, and He says, "Here's here's how big it is." Don't deprive each other, and I was don't stop having sex except by mutual consent. Okay, that's the two of you agree upon it for a specific time for prayer and fasting. Now look how smart God is. The next sentence is. Here's why I'm telling you this. He says, here's why I say you've got to have sex, except by mutual consent, except for a specific time, except for prayer and fasting, because come together again so that Satan will not tempt you. See how God understands it? He said, wait a minute, you got into this marriage thing because you said sex was important. You got into this marriage thing because you said the sex was critical. That's what you said. Because I told you it's better to be single than married. And you said... I can't stand it. I've got to be sexually active. So now I get into the marriage. We got a really weird thing going on. We got all these sexually active single and all these celibate married people. Exactly the opposite of what God says. God says, "Here's what. Once you get into here, it's yaha time." And I believe this, okay? And gals, I'm just telling you because the guy, he's ready. He's ready right now. You can. He's pretty much ready to go, okay? All you got to say is something like how you do it and he's ready okay I'm ready that's ready that's la- that's my love language okay I, whatever the woman is going to drive this thing the woman's going to determine that the, the, uh, the I think the frequency and the quantity and the quality and all this stuff but I think there ought to be great freedom in there and I think God's given you great freedom in there and I th- unless the bible says don't do it I think within that sexual context, gals, guys, everything goes. So it eliminates the family pet, and that's about it. Okay? There aren't a lot of things in there that can't be involved in this thing. Okay? I won't use that at church, maybe. Maybe you drop that for two. I don't think it's that bad. To me, well, it makes a point. It makes a point. Okay? The point here, the point here is in the context of freedom. The point here is in the context of sex that I have great freedom. Okay? And I ought to understand that. Now, guys, i got to say this. This is all in the context of unselfishness. So, I can't sit there as a guy saying, here's what you need. Bing, 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 bing. I can't be there as a guy saying, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to meet this, you got to do this. Because my concern is to meet your need. Gals, I can't get into a situation where I say, well, I'm not going to be involved sexually because you haven't met my needs. Because your job is not to respond whether your needs are met or not. Your job is to meet the other person's needs. And to meet the other person's wants, that's the key to the whole deal. It all comes tumbling down if I'm starting to do this on a quid pro quo basis because it won't work. Okay, three more things quickly. Somebody explain quid pro quo to those U of A guys. <laughs> here we go. Just a little humor. Number four. Okay, you got to share dreams. I- I'm talking to this couple here. D- to this point. In your relationship, you've communicated openly, honestly, regularly with one another. Don't stop now. Communication is the key to a successful marriage. You must continue to listen to one another, to share your thoughts, your dreams, your ideas, your feelings. This idea of where do you think we are? Where do you think we're headed? How are we going to get there? Where are we going to go? What's going to happen? I think I've used the illustration in here, but it's so perfect. When when Susan and I were dating and then when we were first married, we we were talking all the time. And part of this is just the natural ebb and flow of life, frankly. We're talking, what do you think we'll have kids? What do you think they'll look like? You know. How how short will they be? We never ask how tall do you think they would get. We always say, how short do you think they'll be? Do you think they'll be smart? Do you think they'll be girls? Do you think they'll be guys? What would you like? Where do you think they'll go to school? What do you think they'll do? What do you think will happen? Where will we live? Where will we retire? What will happen? So we would drive to Tucson, and I mean literally, we would talk the whole way. We have the capacity to get in the car now, and about Toltec. I'll say... You need to go to the bathroom? And, she'll, and that's about the extent of our dream. I'll say, you want to get a cup of coffee? You want to go Coke? What do you want? Something happened that drove this point home to me a couple of years ago. We, uh, I came home one day and Susan said, look at the ceiling in the family room. And I looked and there were water stains and I said, There's, the roof's leaking. And she said, well, I know that. And I said, well, have you? did you go up and see what it was? And she said, no. I didn't go up and see what it was. I thought you'd do that. And I said, well, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Call the roof guy. I don't know who our roof guy is, but, you know, somebody we know will know somebody. And So the roof guy comes out, and he came, uh, he beat around up there, and he came down and he said, uh, Roof's leaking. And I said, well, we all, we figured it out, okay? What are we going to do? And he said, well, you don't have a lot of choices. So these roofs in here are all about 25 years old. They're the shakes shingle. They're all rotten. Every one of these are rotting. And the way that they're laid out is you got you got some major changes that you're going to have to make here. And I said, "Was well, there something you can do?" And he said, well, "We can put some metal shingles under there that may help for with some tar and stuff. That may help for a while. I don't know." And then he said, "This. How long are you going to live in this house?" And I said, I know, "I'll get back to you." I said to Susan, "How long do you think we're going to live here?" And she said, "I don't know." And all of a sudden, we started talking, and it was like all these dreams all over again. All of a sudden, we're talking about well, the kids are going to go away. Kids are going to get married and leave town. Do we want to have bedrooms? You know, how many bedrooms do we want? If we're going to go move to a condo or something, that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to just get out of here, I think, and into a condo, and my, my, I'd like to just make one move to get there, and then the next call be 911 to get me out of there. Okay? That's kind of my, I'm not into a lot of movement now. Okay, that's where i so now we're going, well, how many bedrooms? Because if the kids come home, and they got the grandkids, aren't we going to want them to stay here? And I said, I wouldn't think so. I would think we'd want them out of here. I and I've been through this already. So I don't know, so we're trying to think. But here's the point. All of a sudden, it was all those dreams. All of a sudden, we're talking about our life again. All of a sudden, we understand that unless God intervenes in terms of something health-wise, that we're going to live to be 75, 80 years old. we got another 30 years of this thing. Where are we going to go with this? What are we going to do? There constantly has to be that read where are we? Where are we headed? How are we going to get there? Or, where are we? Where are we headed? Is that where we want to go? <coughs> Huge deal. Here's the fifth one. This becomes, again, a key important part of this. Marriage requires forgiving one another. Every marriage, in fact, every relationship, provides infinite opportunities for forgiveness. In your marriage, there will be mistakes, failures, even wrongs. Decide now you'll forgive each other. Again, some helpful advice from the Apostle. He writes, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building each other up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Get rid of all bitterness and rage and anger and brawling and slander and every form of malice. Now here you go. Here's the Christian walk. He says, here's what I want you to get rid of. Take the bitterness, the rage, the anger. Christian walk. Get rid of all that stuff. Here's the next verse. Be kind-hearted and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Now I forgive. That's what Paul says out of Ephesians 4. The end of it, Ephesians 4:28 ish Here's what Paul's talking about in there, the Christian walk. He says... Don't lie, but tell the truth. It's not just a series of don't do's, don't do's, don't do's. There is that. He says, don't do this, but I want you doing this. When it comes to this issue of marriage, it is critical for us to get rid of all of that rage and that bitterness and that anger and begin to forgive one another. I don't do this very often. I probably am more prone to point my weaknesses out to you than my strengths. I have some things I do pretty well, some things I do very well. I have one thing that I do world-class well. I do it as well as any person I've ever met, and we are at it. I am the world's greatest forgiver. I love to forgive. I am a great forgiving guy. You can screw me over one day, and the next day... We'll start as though it were nothing new. I may be a little more cautious in my dealing, but I will forgive you and forgive and forgive and forgive. You know why? I I know why. Because I didn't used to be this way. I used to be the guy that said, I don't get mad, I get even. I used to be the guy that said, don't, 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 don't start messing around with me because you can't win that game. You'll never have another night's sleep because you don't know when I'm going to come. You don't know when I'm going to get you. Every creak, every, every, every creak in the floor, every little twitch could be me or one of my guys coming to get you. Okay? I'll cut your heart out. Okay? You may be bigger than me, you may be stronger than me, but you aren't smarter than me. And I will destroy you somehow if you mess with me. In my own little way, probably a little bit intimidating in that way, I don't know. But I know this, what I was never going to do was forgive you. But something happened to me in March of 1980. It's the key to this. Here's what he says: Be kind-hearted, be compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Here's the key: Just as in Christ, God forgave you, Ephesians 4:32. I don't forgive the other person because they deserve it. We get into some discussion the other day. Can you forgive somebody that doesn't ask? To me, we're just dancing around. Here. I don't. Whatever. Okay. I know this: If I'm bitter and angry at you and I harbor that bitter and anger at you, and I carry that bitter and anger around, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. How do you forgive somebody when they've taken advantage of you? In fact, this ties it all together in the sense that, wait a minute, if I'm unselfish, and I set aside my rights, and all I try to do is meet my spouse's needs and my spouse's wants, if I'm just there with doing nothing of meeting their needs, aren't they going to take advantage of me? Absolutely! They're going to. Let's get all the pressure off. Are they going to take advantage of you? Yeah, they are. Part of the deal. Now, in the midst of this, here's what's even more more to me amazing. As they take advantage of you, now you forgive them. Not because they deserve it. Not because they've earned that forgiveness. But because in Christ, look how He forgave you. I happen to believe that the Bible teaches pretty clearly. And I think, I think my view, I think almost beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you're a Christian today, you're a Christian because God chose you before the foundations of the earth. I think if you read that Scripture, here's what it says. It says, before you were even born, God had a plan for you, and that plan included your salvation. That God's the one who initiated salvation from beginning to end. That God, while you... Here's what Romans 5, 8 says. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we hated Christ, He died for us. While I spit in his face, he died for me. He forgave me. Not because I deserved it, but because he determined he was going to forgive me. And that's the attitude I carry into marriage. I'm coming in saying, I'm sorry. I forgive. There's no baggage. There's unselfishness. Let's go. Now, when you look at this, it's like this in Ephesians, this Ephesians 4 section. Ephesians 4 here goes on to Ephesians 5. It talks about wives submit to husbands, husband loves your wife, kids obey your parents, masters obey your slaves. Uh, 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 <laughs> masters obey slaves, obey your masters. Masters treat your slaves with love. There's this sense in which you read this where you're saying, I can't possibly do that. That's why in Ephesians six he says, now put on the spiritual armor because you're in the middle of warfare, pal. See, when you're in a marriage, you're in a marriage, you're in the midst of this, and you're laying aside your needs and you're laying aside your wants because you want to meet that other person's needs. There are a thousand things that are going to come along and say, I ought to defend my rights. There are going to be those people that are going to come along and say, I wouldn't put up with that stuff from him. I wouldn't put up with that stuff for her. You have sex how often? Once every six months? And you're five years behind? I wouldn't put up with that. He talks to you like that? I wouldn't put up with that. He doesn't take out the garbage? I wouldn't put up with that. And all of a sudden, you got all this... Because the world's going to tell you, stand up for your rights. Especially in the context of marriage, and I think God says, "Do you have rights? Yeah, but here's the noble thing to do: voluntarily lay them aside." What comes screaming out of me is, "I can't do it," which is my sixth point. That's to grow in your knowledge and love of God and of His Son Jesus Christ. It's to begin to take this word and study this word and fall in love with this word and care about this word and let it be supreme. See, if you are in in your marriage situation, okay. My relationship with my wife is nothing more than a physical picture of my relationship with my God. Don't, there you go guys, don't tell me you love your Lord if you don't love your wife. Because you're supposed to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Gals, don't start with me that you got a great spiritual life and quiet time if you're not submitting to your husband. Because you're submitting to your husband is a, is a picture of you submitting to your Lord. When we're talking about marriage, we got we got we want to get into all this stuff. We got these marriage problems. And we're going to say oh, we're going to figure this out. We're going to define this. How'd you do? What'd your dad do? What'd your sister do? Did you get M and M's with peanuts or chocolate? We're going to take all these things and try to define them till we're blue. Okay? I don't want to minimize that. If your parents locked you in a closet and sexually abused you, I understand there's going to be some harm with that. But even there, at some point, we reach the point where we go, you know, you got to suck it up and get on with it. And I don't mean to be insensitive, but how long are we going to carry this around? When we get to the marriage thing, netting it all out i got to understand that in this marriage, my number one concern is my relationship with my Lord. From that, it's my relationship on how I serve my spouse. And whether I get my needs met or not is irrelevant. In every relationship... Here you go. How many times have you heard it? In every relationship, at every moment, you're doing one of two things. You are either... What is it? where I'm either ministering to that person or I'm manipulating that person. At every moment of every time, in every minute, I'm either ministering to you or I'm manipulating you. Here's what I've got to do. I've got to get a point where I'm worshiping my Lord and ministering to my spouse and that's all I need. Now here's the deal. If I meet your need and I meet your need and I meet your need, here's what's going to happen. You're going to meet mine. Somebody the other day said, well, I don't go to that meeting. I said, well, how come you don't go? And they said, because I, I don't get anything out of it. And I said, not, not speaking about this, speaking about something we were going to. I said, "Let me. how many meetings do you think I go to where I don't get anything out of it? My whole day time is filled with meetings I don't get anything out of. i got meeting to meeting to meeting I don't get anything out of. Going into them I don't get anything out of. them. I don't go into them to get anything out of them. I go into them to bring something to it, and when I bring something to it, I get something out of it. When you're saying, I don't get anything out of church, I don't get anything out of worship, I guarantee you, it's because you don't put anything into it. You ought to hit that church on Sunday. I presume you're going to church. I presume it's a decent church. You're going to that church. You're there ready to worship. You're there ready to praise God. You're there ready to adore Him. You're ready to see is He going to speak to you through the message today? Is He going to say something to you today? When you put something into it, something comes back out of it. Bottom line, netting it out for marriage. My concern is to meet that other person's wants and that other person's needs. I'm into this thing forever. Susan and I know one thing. We aren't going to get divorced. We're in this thing forever. Now, we can decide that it's going to be lousy or it's going to be status quo or let's see how great we can make it. Our object here is to not see your marriage survive. It's to see your marriage... You know what started to happen that's kind of neat now? It happened. The first time you're kind of taken back by it. But I met with a couple, I don't know, about six months ago. And they and here's what they said. They said, we want to have a marriage like yours and Susan." When we get old like you, that's the part I didn't get. Okay? We want to have a marriage like you and Susan. See? That's what you want. Not to survive, but to thrive. And here's how you have, here's how that happens. You understand the vows are unconditional. You begin to move in an area where the uh, realistic expectations. I begin to move with an attitude that's not selfish. I begin to share dreams and forgive one another, grow uh, close to my Lord, and at that moment, Nothing can stop that marriage. You have two people together whose prime concern is meeting one another's needs. There's no way you can break that marriage up. That can't do anything but thrive. Is that I? Oh, that's ideal. Robert Young died yesterday and finally it's symbolic. We can put an end to this father-knows-best heir. I don't buy that for a minute. This is exactly how marriage is supposed to look. And it can look that way. And it depends upon you. And you can make it work even if the other spouse doesn't. Because it's not about them, it's about you and your Lord. I I love to stop and think, and what's life going to be like? Fifty people who are at least 90 years of age, and they said to them, what would you do if you could live your life over again? Next week we look at that. Father, please, take these truths, and we know in a room like this, we know there's hurt and pain. We know that this discussion brings up so many different questions. God, give us the capacity to listen to this truth and to digest it through your grid, not through ours. Through your eyes, not through ours. Apply it to our heart. Soften our heart. Break our heart. Let us meet the needs and the wants